All right, Exodus 29. You ready? And this is what you shall do to them to hallow them. For ministering to me as priest, take one young bull and two rams without blemish and unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil and unleavened wafers anointed with oil. You shall make them of wheat. You shall put them in one basket and bring them in the basket with the bull and two rams. And Aaron and his sons you shall bring to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and you shall wash them with water. Then you shall take the garments, put the tunic on Aaron, and the robe of the ephod, the ephod and the breastplate, and gird him in the, with the intricately woven band of the ephod. And you shall put the turban on his head, and put the holy crown on the turban. And you shall take the anointing oil, pour it on his head, and anoint him. Then you shall bring his sons and put tunics on them, and you shall gird them with sashes, Aaron and his sons, and put the hats on them. The priesthood shall be theirs for a personal statute, and you shall, I'm sorry, for a perpetual statute, and you shall consecrate Aaron and his sons. You shall also have the bull brought before the tabernacle of meeting, and Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of the bull. And then you shall kill the bull before the Lord by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And you shall take some of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger and pour all the blood beside the base of the altar. And you shall take all the fat that covers the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver and the two kidneys and the fat that is on them and burn them on the altar. But the flesh of the bull with its skin and with its offal you shall burn with fire outside the camp. It is a sin offering. And you shall also take one ram, and Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of the ram. And you shall kill the ram, and you shall take its blood and sprinkle it all around the altar. Then you shall cut the ram in pieces, wash its entrails and its legs, and put them with its pieces and with its head. And you shall burn the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. And you shall also take the other ram, and Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of the ram. Then you shall kill the ram and take some of its blood and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron and on the tip of the right ear of his sons, on the thumb of their right hand and on the big toe of their right foot. And sprinkle the blood all around the altar. And you shall take some of the blood that is on the altar and some of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and on his garments, on his sons and on the garments of his sons with him. And he and his garments shall be hallowed and his sons and his son's garments with him. Also, you shall take the fat of the ram and the fat tail and the fat covers and the fat that covers the entrails and the fatty lobe attached to the liver, the two kidneys and the fat on them, the right thigh, for it is the ram of consecration, one loaf of bread, one cake made with oil and one wafer from the basket of the unleavened bread that is before the Lord. And you shall put all these in the hands of Aaron and in the hands of his sons, and you shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord 
you shall receive them back from the hands, from their hands, and burn them on the altar as a burnt offering, as a sweet aroma before the Lord. It is an offering made by fire to the Lord. Then you shall take the breast of the ram of Aaron's consecration and wave it as a wave offering before the Lord, and it shall be your portion. And from the ram of the consecration, you shall consecrate the breast of the wave offering, which is waved, and the thigh of the heave offering, which is raised, of that which is for Aaron and of that which is for his sons. It shall be from the children of Israel for Aaron and his sons by a statute forever. For it is a heave offering and it shall be a heave offering from the children of Israel from the sacrifices of their peace offerings. That is their heave offering to the Lord and the holy garments of Aaron shall be his sons after him to be anointed in them and to be consecrated in them that the son, that son who becomes priest in his place shall put them on for seven days. Then when he enters the tabernacle of meeting to minister in the holy place, and you shall take the ram of the consecration and boil its flesh in the holy place. Then Aaron and his sons shall eat the flesh of the ram and the bread that is in the basket by the door of the tabernacle of meeting and they shall eat those things with which the atonement was made to consecrate and to sanctify them. But an outsider shall not eat them because they are holy. And if any of the flesh of the consecration or of the bread remains until the morning, then you shall burn the remainder with fire. It shall not be eaten because it is holy. Thus you shall do to Aaron and his sons according to all that I have commanded you. Seven days you shall consecrate them, and you shall offer a bull every day as a sin offering for atonement. And you shall cleanse the altar when you make atonement for it, and you shall anoint it to sanctify it. Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and sanctify it, and the altar shall be most holy. And whatever touches the altar must be holy. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar Two lambs of the first year, day by day, continually. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. With the one lamb shall, shall be one-tenth of an ephah of flour mixed with one-fourth of a hen of pressed oil, and one-fourth of a hen of wine as a drink offering. And the, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight, and you shall offer it with the grain offering, and the drink offering as in the morning for a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. This shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet you to speak with you. And there I will meet with the children of Israel and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. So I will be So I will consecrate the tabernacle of meeting and the altar I will also consecrate both Aaron and his sons to minister to me as priests. I will dwell among the children of Israel and I will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord, their God, who brought them up out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord, their God. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this gospel, this good news, this proclamation of Jesus Christ. 
in our salvation by grace through faith in him. Father, we ask that you would give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, open our hearts and open our minds, fill us with your truth, that we would be a people set apart, glorified, sanctified, transformed and conformed to the image of the Son of God. We ask this, that you would be glorified in your church, in the earth, in Jesus' name, amen. So here in Exodus 29, it's a lot of information. It's 46 verses with a lot of detail. So as we go through Exodus, we're kind of going through quickly with an overview of what God is communicating here through these uh, verses of Scripture. And quite honestly, very often, we don't like to read these. So, you know, I encourage you, I'm going to encourage you right now, that you read your Bible, that you, that you purpose, that you read through the Scripture in a year. If you read every, there's tons of reading plans out there. You can do it various ways. But one of, the, one of my favorite ways to do it is just to start in Genesis and begin to read. And what happens when you do that, when you just read the Bible, you begin to see the big picture. You begin to understand things that, that you didn't normally understand. You begin to see the scriptures that you say, what does this have to do with me? I, I don't understand all this stuff about bulls and goats and rams and putting blood on ears and thumbs and big toes. That's weird. But when we begin to read the scripture and we read it regularly and we let that scripture wash our minds and remember it's not what you're getting out of the scripture, it's what the scripture is doing in you. You begin to be, get a big picture. You begin to realize that the writers of the New Testament taught from, wrote from, expounded from these Old Testament scriptures that what we just read absolutely applies to us and we don't even realize how it informs the way we are to worship, how we worship and what our worship means. So God chose Aaron and his sons to minister to him as priest. Aaron and his sons were of the tribe of Levi. Levi was one of the 12 sons of Jacob. And Levi was the tribe that dealt with the tabernacle and things of the tabernacle and the temple and some of them would pack the tent up and they would move it but specifically Aaron's sons were the priesthood they were the ones that ministered to the Lord in the tabernacle and so God chose Aaron and his sons to minister to him <clears throat> as priests I want you to understand this that Aaron and his sons did not choose to become priests they didn't say, hey, you know what, I think, I think we want to be the priest. We're first, we put our name in first, so we get to be the priest. That's not how it worked. God chose Aaron and his sons, and God said to Aaron and his sons, you shall be my priest. You shall minister to me in the tabernacle. And what I just read to you in, verse 20, in chapter 29 of Exodus is the consecration ceremony consecrating them, getting them ready to be that priesthood. So God chose them, and they willfully and joyfully submitted to God's calling. 
The priesthood is a privilege and a responsibility a person is graciously born into. And only by birth does a person become a member of the priesthood. There was no priest school that you went to to earn a priest certificate so that you could go apply for the job of priest. That's not how it worked. It's not a vocation one chooses. It's not a vocation one chooses to enter, but it's a calling from God one is born into. Today, we are not sons of Aaron. We are called sons of God by a new birth, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, by a new birth in the Spirit. In Israel, what we just read about here, the only way for a man to become a priest was by birth. If you were not born into it, you could never enter into the priesthood. And if you tried, God would kill you. He'd strike you dead. If you were born into it, you knew the great privilege and the great responsibility of being set apart to serve God as a priest. So it is today in Christ. Through the new birth of the Spirit, we are made a royal priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices to God. And we are, as Aaron and his sons did, we are to count it our greatest privilege because we have been given the greatest calling. Let me read another scripture to you, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen generation. Peter's writing to the church. He's writing to the saints, people very much like, like us. And he says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Peter is very aware of Exodus 29. He's very aware that the priesthood could only be entered into by birth. He's telling, he's writing this to Gentiles, because he says, you who were not a people are now a people. That's the Gentiles. Israel was the people of God. They were God's chosen people. The Gentiles, everybody else in the world, were not God's chosen people. Peter is now, Peter this Jew is writing to these Gentiles. And he's saying, you who once were not a people, you are now a people. In fact, he says, you are a chosen generation a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Peter is very well aware that the priesthood only came through Aaron under the Mosaic covenant, under that system of sacrifice, under that system of the law. Peter is saying, now we have entered into a new creation, a new covenant, and you people who were not God's people are now God's people. How? By grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. You were not chosen, but you are chosen now. You were not royal, and you were not a priesthood, but you are now a royal priesthood. You are not a holy nation, but now you are a holy nation. You are not, you were not his special people, but now you are his very own special treasure. That's literally what that says right there. That in Christ, we become God's very own 
own special treasured people. This is who you are in Christ Jesus. Do you know that? Do you know that, church? So chapter 29, God gives us the summary of this chapter right in the very opening. This is what you shall do to hallow them, to set them apart, to dedicate them wholly and completely, to be priests who serve and minister only to the Lord. That word hallow means to set apart, to dedicate for a specific purpose. Jesus taught his disciples to pray, our Father in heaven, who hallowed be thy name. It means holy, set apart. And this is what God is telling Moses. He's commanding that Aaron and his sons, the priesthood, be hallowed, be set apart and dedicated. So we see in the first nine verses, the summary of the consecration of Aaron and his sons. Let me give you a, a, a breakdown here. In the next few verses, 10 through 14, we see that there is a bull that is to be offered as a sin offering. And then after that, in verses 15 through 18, we see a ram that is to be offered as a burnt offering. In verses 19 through 28, we see another ram that's to be offered. It's called the ram of consecration. And then in verses 29 and 30, he talks about these garments that Aaron is wearing now that are going to be sprinkled with blood and oil that that he's going to be consecrated in. Those specific garments that Aaron wore were to be kept in perpetually so that each generation when a new high priest succeeded Aaron and and the succeeding high priest, they would wear Aaron's garments for seven days to go through this process of being consecrated into the priesthood in verses 31 through 34 we see Aaron and his sons eating the consecration offering the ram of consecration and the bread there at the door of the tabernacle in verses 35 through 37 the consecration ceremony is for seven days they're not to leave the doorway of the tabernacle. They're to stay there night and day for seven days. And God says, if you leave, you die. Verses 38 through 46, we see that God institutes the continual offering of a lamb. A lamb every morning, a lamb every evening, every day of the week, continually. Until God says no more. So these 46 verses break down. And they give us this picture of this consecration ceremony. In verse 1. You shall hallow them. This is what you shall do to hallow them. And in that process God says take one young bull and two rams without blemish. Now remember. To hallow means to set apart, to dedicate entirely to the Lord for the Lord's service. This is what's happening to Aaron and his sons. Remember, I just read to you that we are a royal priesthood. And if we're a royal priesthood, and we are now a priesthood under a better covenant based on better promises, if Aaron and his sons were a priesthood dedicated to God entirely, 
how much more are we to be a priesthood dedicated entirely to the Lord? Somehow we miss that though. Somehow we think Jesus some, somehow lowered the bar and basically has this attitude that it doesn't really matter what we do. I'm covered by Jesus, so it doesn't matter how I live my life. It doesn't matter what I do. Where do we get that? Well, I'll tell you where we don't get that. We don't get that from the Bible. That's not what we get from the Bible. Now, we might read this and we might think, man, kind of, yeah, it's kind of sucky for Aaron. You mean Aaron didn't get to choose that he was going to be a priest? What if Aaron didn't want to be a priest? What if Aaron wanted to be an artist? What if Aaron wanted to be a musician? What if Aaron wanted to be a plumber? What if Aaron wanted to be an electrician? What if Aaron wanted to be an entrepreneur? But God says Aaron has to be a priest. See, that's the wrong way to look at it. When Aaron was called to be the priest and his sons, the priesthood, Aaron didn't see it as anything except the greatest privilege that could be bestowed upon him. That he would be the one that would enter into the very presence of God and minister to the Lord on behalf of his people. Aaron saw that for what it was. The question is, do we see that for what it is today in our own life? Because the scripture is clear that you are called a royal priesthood. That means you are priests. Revelation says we're kings and priests under our God. And as priests of God, are we trying to figure out the minimal we have to do in order to still make it to heaven? Or are we trying to figure out how we can pour ourselves into God's service in God's kingdom in greater ways. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you have to choose between spending all your time in this room we call a church and living your life. The point is, you are to live your life in its entirety, wholly. That means in your work, in your play, in your family time, in, in everything that you do, in, in, in everything that you are. You are to live it to his glory, for his glory, as a priest ministering before the presence of the Lord because you never leave the presence of the Lord if you are in Christ. He lives in you. You live in him. You are eternally bound and joined to his presence because of the Holy Spirit that lives on the inside of you. The question is, do you realize that? Do you know that? And does that truth and does that reality inform how you live your life? How you think, how you walk, how you talk. God instructs Moses to bring a young bull and two rams without blemish. Now this is the beginning of the Mosaic law. God's give, just given all these instructions on how to build the tabernacle, what it's going to be. Now he's given instructions for the priesthood of how they're going to conduct all the things inside. This is the beginning of the Mosaic law. And at the beginning of the law, God sets this, this principle, this, this eternal principle in place 
that when you bring an offering to the Lord, you bring an offering that is without blemish. When you bring bread to the Lord, you bring the freshest bread, not your moldy bread. When you bring your bull and your lamb and your ram to the Lord, you don't bring the blind ones that aren't going to bring a good price at the auction. You don't bring the lame ones that aren't really any good for anything. Well, all God's going to do is just take them and burn them on a fire. Just give them the old one. Give him the lame one because he ain't going to do anything with it. He's just going to burn it on a fire. See, that's our worldly mentality today. And we're not bringing bulls and goats and lambs and rams. What are we bringing as offerings to the Lord? Maybe it's the check you put in the offering today. But even that's just a reflection of what? It's a reflection of your heart. It's a reflection of you. And God says, bring a young bull and two rams without blemish. We're not going to do it for time's sake, but we could turn over to Malachi chapter 1, verse 6 through 14. In Malachi chapter 1, at the, at the end of the Mosaic system, when Malachi wrote his prophecy, there was under 500 years left before the temple would be destroyed. That's why I say it was at the end. And here's what God says to his people, Israel. You bring to me blemished offering. You bring to me bulls and goats and lambs and rams that are lame, that are blind. You bring... Bread that is corrupted. What's corrupted bread? Honey, do we have any fresh bread? Always got this stuff that's got mold on it. Hey, take that down to the tabernacle and give that to God. He's just going to burn it anyways. And this is what God says. You bring to me blind, lame animals to offer to me. You bring to me corrupted bread. He says, you're, you're under judgment for this. And this is what we saw in Israel's history because they would not from their heart worship God the way God commanded that he be worshipped. And you know why Israel had a hard time worshiping God from their heart the way God commanded that be worshipped because their hearts weren't right. It wasn't that they didn't know how, it's that their hearts weren't right. And so the way we worship indicates What's happening with our heart? Now, on the outside, it may look great. You know, they might not know that that, no one else around you may know that that, that lamb that you're bringing to offer to the Lord is blind. You got it on a rope and you're bringing it to him and you're going to give it to the priest and, and, and maybe they'll never know it's blind, but guess who knows it's blind? God does. There's ways that we can worship where it looks for all practical purposes perfectly normal but but we can never ever forget that God sees our heart God sees my heart God knows my heart God knows when I need to repent even when I don't know I need to repent but he'll let me know and Aaron his sons 
He says, you'll bring to the door the tabernacle of meeting and you shall wash them with water. This pictures for us the washing of the water of the word. This pictures the word of God washing our minds, cleansing us and preparing us for service to God. If the only time you hear the word of God, read the word of God is when it's up there on that screen, you need to repent of that. You need to break open that word every day and begin to wash your mind with it every day. Don't worry about what you understand. Don't worry about that. Just consistently wash your mind with the word every day. And if you will consistently do that, I promise you the word will work in you and you will begin to understand and realize that that work is taking place. Bring them and wash them with water. Then you shall take the garments, put the tunic on Aaron, the robe, the ephod, the breastplate, gird him. So having been washed with the word, we put on the holy garments that mark us as priests by our birth. The outer garment signifies the inner life and the glory of the spirit. They reflect the reality of God's holiness and God's righteousness that is accounted to us in the new birth of the Spirit. We put on the holy garments that adorn our life inwardly and outwardly by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. These aren't just robes. Listen, this is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. This is the fruit of the Spirit. These are the garments we are to be clothed with. And those garments are manifest because of the inward reality of the spirit dwelling in us. So all of this pictured here in Exodus 29 that appears irrelevant to us has absolute relevance for us today. Through the washing of the water of the word, this is how we begin to learn how to walk in kindness in righteousness, in holiness. The washing came first, then the garments went on. It's the same with us spiritually. You're not going to know how to walk in those things that God commands us to put on until you begin to wash your mind with the word of God and let that word fill you and renew you. Verse 6, you shall put the turban on his head and put the holy crown on the turban. The turban was part of the holy garments that covered the head of the priest. This speaks of Christ who is our head. This speaks of us having the mind of Christ. And then upon the turban was the gold crown. It's a crown. Who wears a crown? Kings wear a crown. It's a sign of royalty. I just read you the scripture. What does Peter say to those Gentile believers? You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. You have the crown of the royal priest on. Peter says spiritually, this is who you are. And this is what is being pictured here. It's not just a turban of white linen that speaks of of a clean mind, of righteous and a holy way of thinking. But then that gold crown is put on that turban that speaks of our royalty. How do you become royalty? You're born into it. Just the same way Aaron and his sons became priests. They were born into it. And the picture is similar. But we see in Ephesians chapter 6 when Paul talks about putting on the armor of God, the helmet 
of salvation that the believer is to put upon his head. It pictures the inner salvation and the renewal of heart and mind. Christ is the head of the church, the head of his body. The turban of fine linen no doubt speaks of Christ and his righteousness who is our head. In verse 7, it says, You shall take the anointing oil and you shall pour it on his head and anoint him. In the old King James, there's a word called unction. We don't use it very much. It doesn't have much meaning in our uh, vocabulary today. But this is, you very often hear, you used to hear of the unction of the Holy Spirit. This is speaking of the anointing. The anointing oil represents the Spirit of God. Kings and priests, prophets were anointed with the oil. It symbolized the anointing of God's Spirit upon their life. The oil poured upon his head pictures the outpouring of God's spirit upon his anointed priest, his anointed king, his anointed prophet. John wrote in his first epistle, he wrote to the believers about the anointing that they had by the indwelling spirit of God, 1 John uh, 2.20. But you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. And as God's royal priesthood, the scripture says we have an anointing from the Holy One. We have an anointing from God. It is the Holy Spirit that lives on the inside of us. This is what we saw on the day of Pentecost when God poured out his spirit. Who did he pour it upon? He poured it upon his people. He poured it upon his new royal priesthood. And that day of Pentecost, when God poured out his spirit, was a picture of God anointing, pouring the oil of anointing upon the head of his priesthood there at Pentecost. And he has been anointing his priests every since. He has anointed you by pouring into your heart, by pouring into your life, by pouring onto you and into you the anointing of his Holy Spirit. In verse 8, he says, You'll bring your sons and put tunics on them and gird them. And Aaron and his sons put hats on them. He says, The priesthood shall be theirs for a perpetual statute. So you shall consecrate Aaron and his sons. This is the promise God gives, I believe, concerning our children. Listen, your children are not guaranteed to be saved because they are your children, but there are promises made to you and your children because they are your children. And this is what we see with Aaron. God says to, the, to Aaron, to Moses, the priesthood is perpetual. It is for you, for your sons, throughout all the generations. And there was the expectation that the sons of Aaron would be priests. Does that mean they, they couldn't go heir? Does it mean they couldn't sin? They couldn't stray? No, we're going to see later on. Later on, we're going to see where Aaron's sons, the very two sons that got consecrated in this ceremony, brought strange fire to the altar. And when they offered strange fire on the altar, you know what happened? Fire came from the altar and consumed them and killed them. And you know what Moses told Aaron? Aaron, you got to get over it and you got to go on. Your boys sinned and God judged them. 
So when I, I say that to say this, as believing parents, we should not be naive to think that because our children are born to us believing parents that they're automatically going to be saved because that's not what the Bible teaches. But it does teach that there are promises given to believing parents. This is why we baptize babies here. That baptism doesn't save them, doesn't guarantee them a pathway to heaven. That's why we're not Catholic, denominationally speaking. We're not, we don't believe what the Catholics believe. We don't believe that that baptism of that baby guarantees that baby's salvation. No. That baptism of that baby welcomes the baby into the covenant. It, it says he is, a, he is a child born into the covenant. He's a covenant child, just like Aaron's sons were born into the priesthood. They didn't, they didn't go into the priesthood because they got old enough one day to decide they wanted to be priests and said, okay, I'm ready to be a priest. No, the moment they were born, they were priests. And they didn't even know it when they were born. But they were priests because they were born to Aaron. And the expectation was that they would grow up and enter into and become priests. And that's the way Aaron raised them. That's the way Aaron discipled them. That's the way they were commanded. What happened if they just decided they, they weren't going to be a priest and I'm going to go worship Baal? I'm going to do that. Guess what? They could do that. But you know what? In that defilement, they would, they would never come back and they would never be priests. So the priesthood, this is what he's saying. This is a perpetual statute. Parents, expect your children to trust in Jesus. Raise your children to trust in Jesus. Baptize your children as covenant members and, and then treat them as covenant members and raise them as covenant members. And, and if they don't worship Jesus, if they don't trust in Jesus, you should be shocked and surprised if you do your job right. But if they do grow up and trust in Jesus, even, even as little children, you should not be surprised. It just means you've done what you're supposed to do. You followed the scripture and done what the scripture has commanded you to do. So this is the perpetual priesthood. All those born into that priesthood were prepared, raised up, discipled to walk in all the work and all the service of ministering to the Lord as priest. In verses 10 through 14, we see the bull brought. And in bringing the bull and bringing the ram, we see that Moses, Aaron, God has Aaron and his sons lay their hands on the head of the bull. So they've gone through, they put their garments on, they've, they've done all this. Now they've brought this bull to the door of the tabernacle and they're going to, they're going to, to slay this bull. But before they slay this bull, before Moses kills the bull, he commands that Aaron and his sons put their hands on the head of the bull. This is a sin offering. And they kill the bull and they offer its blood on the altar. Then they take part of it they burn it on the altar. They take the rest of it. They don't eat this. They take all the skin, all the flesh, all the bull, except some very specific parts outside the city, and they burn it. This was the best bull. This was the bull that would bring the highest price at auction, given to the Lord. And you know what the Lord did with it? He took it outside the city, and he burned it to ash. 
Now, if you don't understand your service to the Lord, if you don't understand who God is and who you are and who I am, you know, if you are viewing God from your point of view, from your worldly point of view, you might say, man, that is a complete waste. You know how much money we could have gotten for that bull at auction? And we could have, we could have fed the homeless. We could have uh, clothed them. We could have provided shelter. We could have taken that money and used it for good. That's what Judas said when the woman broke the alabaster jar of perfume and poured it all over the feet of Jesus. He said, what a sin. She could have taken that alabaster jar and that perfume and sold it for much money and we could have fed and clothed and sheltered homeless people. But you know what the Bible says? The Bible says Judas was the treasurer and what he was really upset about was that he didn't get to keep that money for himself. And you know what happens when we bring our blemished offerings to the Lord? We're like Judas. And we make excuses and we say, you know, I could take that money and I could do this with it. I could do that with it. But that's not what you're supposed to do with it. You're supposed to give it to the Lord. And if God wants to burn it up to ash, that's his business because it belongs to him. It's not for you or for me to decide what should be done with the Lord's offering. It's his. So they put their hand in that, that sin, their sin symbolically was transferred to that bull. And then that sin was taken outside of the city and it was completely consumed. When they brought the first ram, it was called a burnt offering. Now what's the difference? The sin offering was taken outside the city and burned. The burnt offering was put on the altar and it was completely consumed, but it ascended up to God. It was the Lord's also, but it was a burnt offering. So they laid hands on that animal as well, symbolizing their sin, transferring to that animal and the atonement that that animal brought, transferring to them. And they offered up that offering as a burnt offering to be completely consumed on the altar as an offering to the Lord. And then in verse 19 through 28, we have the second ram called the ram of consecration. It was a wave offering. Now, the difference here is, this is the lamb. We took the blood of the bull and we put it on the four corners of the altar, sanctifying the altar. The consecration offering, the second ram, they took the blood of that lamb, and this is the blood that they put on the right ear of Aaron and his sons, the right thumb of Aaron and his sons, and the right big toe of Aaron and his sons. Now, why do you think God did that? Some magic ceremony here? Something magical about that blood? No. It was symbolic, though, that our ears, what we hear, what we do with our hands, where we go with our feet, is absolutely consecrated to God, dedicated to God. So when Aaron and his sons, the priests, were not in the tabernacle, when they were out walking outside the tabernacle compound, were they free from that blood that was placed on their ear, their thumb, and their toe? No, they were not. That didn't just apply when they were in church. That applied everywhere, every day, wherever they went, whatever they did, for all of their life. Because they weren't just priests when they were in church, in the tabernacle, doing God's business. They were priests because that's who they were, period. 
It defined all of their life. So whether they were out farming, tending their fields, whether they were building their house, whatever they were doing, they were priests. And that blood applied to the ear, the thumb, and the toe was a reminder that you don't stop being a priest just because you're not in the tabernacle. You are a priest eternally, perpetually before the Lord. Do you think that applies to us today? How long do you want your salvation to apply to your life? Eternally or just a few months here and there? Now, we want our salvation to apply eternally. Then how should we live our life? Should we live our life that, like we are part-time priests before the Lord? Sunday morning, couple hours, I'll live like a priest. I'll sing like a priest. I'll praise like a priest. I'll read my Bible like a priest for a couple hours on Sunday morning. But the rest of the week, I'm free. No. We want salvation to apply eternally, but we don't want to live as a priest perpetually. We want to live as a priest part-time. And God says it doesn't work that way. How did you become a priest? Did you pay for it? Did you go to school for it? You have the certificate? Are you a card-carrying member of the priesthood? Got, you got your, got your concealed priesthood card in your wallet? Huh? You know how you became a priest? You were born into it. Specifically, you were either born again into it, or you're not a priest. But if you have been born again of the Spirit, and you are in Christ Jesus right now, the good news for you, I hope it's good news to you, the good news for you is that you are a priest to God. And that priesthood is not part-time, it's not lifelong, it's eternal in Christ Jesus. And that ram of consecration was the ram that they took that blood and they applied it. And then that ram was also, they took part of that meat and they offered it to the Lord. But the other part of that meat, they were to take to a boiling pot at the door of the tabernacle. They boiled that meat and they ate it. Just like in a little bit, we're going to come to this table and we're going to eat this bread and we're going to drink of this cup. And Jesus said in John 6, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. And it says in John 6, at that time, many who followed him departed and followed him no more because it was too difficult of a saying. What we see right here with the consecration lamb is a picture of the Lord's table. It's a picture of us eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Because when Aaron and his sons ate the consecration lamb, they were to eat it. They were to eat the bread, drink the, the wine. They were to eat it all. And what they couldn't eat, what was left, they were to put it back on the altar and, and give it as a burnt offering to the Lord. But it wasn't not to remain for the next day because God says this is holy. So we see this picture that we are eating and drinking the very thing that, that defines who we are. This is a picture of the priesthood. This is the intimacy of us being joined to God. Now I want to touch on this last part, the continual offering of the lambs. 
So this happened every day, seven days a week, two times a day. From this time, every morning at nine o'clock, a lamb was offered. Every afternoon at three o'clock, a lamb was offered. There were no rain days. There were no snow days. There were no holidays. Every day, twice a day, a lamb of the first year was offered as a burnt offering to the Lord. No one ate it. It was God's. And that was to be until God stopped it. You know when God stopped it? He did stop it. He actually stopped it when his lamb was sacrificed at 9 o'clock in the morning and then gave up his spirit at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. When his lamb hung on the cross. Now the Jews kept offering lambs after that in the temple and that went on for about 40 more years less than 40 more years. But you know what God did then? God sent an army in there and he just wiped that temple out and said, you will not offer lambs anymore because I have already offered my lamb. My son is the lamb I have offered. And do you know why that temple has not been rebuilt to this day? Because the only reason that temple existed to begin with was to give us a type and a shadow, a picture of the lamb who was to come. That lamb has come. He is still offering. He is perpetually, his life is perpetually in the presence of the Father. His life at the right hand of the Father is a perpetual, eternal reminder of the lamb that was offered for your sin and for my sin. And it will eternally be a reminder to the Father. It is how you and I will come into the presence of the Father. It's how you and I will see Jesus face to face one day. It's a reminder that we are not our own, but we have been bought with a price. And we are to therefore glorify God in our body. For our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you know that church? And our acceptance in the Father is eternally provided through the sacrifice and the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus is our atoning sacrifice. He is our great high priest who has offered himself once and for all that we would be accepted in the Father. So in Christ, we are welcome in the Father. And the table of the Lord that we're getting ready to come to, you guys come on up. The table of the Lord reminds us that we have been accepted because he gave his body and he shed his blood. He became the way, the truth, and the life. And there is no other way to the Father except through him. And you, Christian, have been given the privilege to be called his royal priesthood, to minister to him daily, come into his presence, to live in his very presence. Aaron and his sons couldn't leave the tabernacle for seven days 
David says, oh, that I could live, dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It was his desire. We come to church on Sunday. The World Cup is happening right now, and there are people all over America going, oh, if the preacher would only shut up so I could go catch the end of the football game. Do you see the difference? Do you know who you are? Do you know what Jesus has done for you? You're only going to live on this earth for a very, 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 very short time. But you will exist. You will live somewhere for eternity. It will either be in the presence of God. And you will thank him that he has made provision for you to be there. Or it will be apart from his presence. And that's, I promise you, where you do not want to be. So as you have trusted in Jesus. As you look to him as your great high priest, and as you, a member of his royal priesthood, I invite you to come to the table. The Bible says that if you are born again, if you are trusting Jesus as your only hope in life and death, the only Savior, that you are now a royal priesthood. You've been hallowed, you've been set apart and wholly dedicated to God by the blood of Jesus Christ. We have not been cleansed by the blood of bulls and goats, but by the blood of the sinless Son of God. Jesus himself has cleansed us and purified us and made us his very own by the offering of his life and the shedding of his blood. We cannot atone for our sin, nor can we think that there is any attempt suitable to do so. The only blood that counts is the blood of Christ. And when we attempt to atone for our own sin by our own works, we are counting the blood of Christ insufficient to cleanse us once and for all. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are his own special people that you may proclaim the praise of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord, and God commands us to now walk as children of light. You are the living sacrifice God now demands. You live your life lived for his glory, for it is no longer you, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in us. The life we now live in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God who loves us and gave himself for us. I saw something yesterday it said, don't count the days, make the days count. Make your days count, church. Make your days count. Live them to the uttermost for his glory. Do not expend your energy and your brain power on useless things. Life is too precious. Live aware of and for his glory. Amen. This is your charge. May you go and perform it well.